entertain you with 25 differently themed shows hosted by local San Francisco comedians, bringing you comedians from all over the United States here. Everything will be live, live streaming and podcast post. Get your tickets, $10 a show, 25 shows, a million laughs. It's the fourth annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival brought to you by Benders, Counter Offer and Subliminal SF. Tell your spirit down. Nobody tell your spirit 
Time to end welfare as we know it And get those greedy chiselers off the dole It's time to end welfare as we know it Teach them a little self-control For far too long we've allowed these corporate hogs To belly up to the public trough No more welfare as we know it No more handouts, cut them off Now we should all be irate at this huge welfare state Right here in this mightiest of nations AFDC is disgraceful to me I'm talking aid for dependent corporations Free enterprise, ha, the cruelest of lies It cost us 200 billion just last year If they paid their fair share We'd have billions to spare It's time to tell them the buck stop here Let's consider Charlie Hurwitz, the CEO at Maxam, holding redwood forests hostage in a vicious little tax scam. It's clear-cut we picked up the tab for Charlie's union busting, then paid him to pollute our water. Jesus, that's disgusting. Charlie won't repay 500 million that he stole from a Houston SNL. What say we kick him off the dole? It's time to end welfare as we know it. And get those greedy chiselers off the dole It's time to end welfare as we know it Teach them a little self-control For far too long we've allowed these corporate hogs To belly up to the public trough No more welfare as we know it No more handouts, cut them off Taco Bell Chihuahua begs for bucks for Frito-Lay And Poppin' Fresh from Pillsbury needs more dough every day <laughs> That thief Ronald McDonald and his sidekick Mayor McCheesy Hamburglarize our treasury in ways that make me queasy That nasty little mermaid took tax dollars overseas To hire thugs to bring poor Haitian workers to their knees It's time to end welfare as we know it and get those greedy chiselers off the dole It's time to end welfare as we know it Teach them a little self-control For far too long we've allowed these corporate hogs To belly up to the public trough No more welfare as we know it No more handouts, cut them off Picking every pocket here from sea to shining sea We must intervene to break this cycle of dependency ADM and Cargill, General Motors, Ford and Boeing ITT and Lockheed and that welfare line keeps growing, growing, growing Now Congress says we can't afford to subsidize the needy But before we slash the safety net, let's tell the truly greedy We're gonna end welfare as we know it And get those greedy chiselers off the dole We're gonna end welfare as we know it Teach them a little self-control For far too long we've allowed these corporate hogs To belly up to the public trough No more welfare as we know it No more handouts, cut 
good. No more handouts, cut them off. And we mean business. No more handouts, cut them off. And this means stadiums. No more handouts, cut them off. You're listening to Labor and Love Radio. Take one more. Here's pink. Dear Mr. President, come take a walk with me. Let's pretend we're just two people and you're not better than me. I'd like to ask you some questions if we can speak honestly. What do you feel when you see all the homeless on the street? Who do you pray for at night before you go to sleep? What do you feel when you look in the mirror? Are you proud? How do you sleep while the rest of us cry? How do you dream when a mother has no chance to say goodbye? President, were you a lonely boy? Are you a lonely boy? How can you say no child is left behind? We're not dumb and we're not blind. They're all sitting in your cells while you pave the road to hell. What kind of father would take his own daughter's rights away? And what kind of father might hate his own daughter if she were gay? I can only imagine what the first lady has to say. You've come a long way. Say goodbye 
president You'd never take a walk with me Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Labor and Love Radio. We're broadcasting, as we do, every Saturday morning from 10 to 12. Broadcasting from Mutiny Radio and on the mutinyradio.fm radio station. Labor and Love Radio, where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, that means someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. And believe me, if you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table where you work, you're on the menu. And third, never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. Good morning, everybody. And that last one we played was from Pink. Dear Mr. President, how can you do all these things? Annie DeFranco, the corporate welfare song, pointing out what we all already know, that the biggest... The biggest receivers of government largesse are not, it's not Social Security, it's not Medicare, it's private business, it's corporate, it's banks, it's big companies that don't pay any taxes at all or are taxed far below the way regular working people are taxed. And we started out with Linda Tillery. Don't let nobody turn you around. Don't let nobody turn you around. No matter how hopeless it gets, like this week, we found out that a seven-year-old girl, Guatemalteca, coming across the border in New Mexico, died. Because what? Because she didn't have any water. All she needed was water. There are organizations that go around on the border and leave catches of water and food for those people who are crossing over. And the Department of Homeland Security, the ICE, go around and destroy, shoot holes in the water jugs and everything that are left for the people crossing. Are we waiting? Why are we waiting around? People are waiting around for fascism to arrive. This is it. This is the fascist point of view. The fascist imperative is that the rules be followed. We make the rules to our advantage and everyone has to follow them, no exception. Seven-year-old girls can die in the desert because we have to keep our rules. 
who are we anyway? Under, uh, under, under the definition of classical economics, we're just a bunch of money grubbers. We're all running around trying to get rich, and that's it. Is that who we are? I don't know. Let's take a listen now to Radio Labor. The Worldwide Labor Report. What are working people doing all over the world? This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, December 14th, 2018. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, the international labor movement announces the winner of the 2018 Worst Boss in the World Award. How unions are fighting for democracy in Africa. The Labor Start report about union events and singing. This is Radio Labor. The worst boss of the year. That is Sharon Burrow, the General Secretary of the International Trade Union Confederation. The ITUC is the global organization which represents national union centers, such as the AFL-CIO in the United States and the British Trades Union Congress. It announced the winner of its 2018 Worst Boss of the Year at its recent Congress in Copenhagen. Now, there were 10 shortlisted candidates. There was Amazon terrible company. Bollore, terribly anti-union. Glencore, absolutely brutishly anti-union. Uber, denying its responsibilities for working people who they are directly responsible for making profits from. Samsung, Deliveroo, and Walmart. Then there is indeed the President and CEO of the Marriott International, as we went through this list, we also had Harvey Weinstein. Now, he was the former CEO of Miramax. You, can, you know why he's on the list. The 2018 winner goes to a man who says for the last 30 years, hell would freeze over before there would be unions in his company. It's a man who built his company on low cost, low wages. It's a business model which exploits workers and he knew it from the beginning. It's a man who fired workers for forming a union, a man who faced the biggest walkout on, in its history this year. It's a man called Michael O'Leary of Ryanair, the low-cost airlines, the bottom feeders which flies throughout Europe. This is a company who wants to control workers' lives, abuse and exploit the uh, working conditions of our members. Well, we will not have it. Michael O'Leary. We award you the worst boss of the year, 2018. The Global Union, which represents aviation workers, is the International Transport Workers Federation. The ITF has been trying for years to win collective bargaining rights for Ryanair workers. Steve Cotton is the ITF's General Secretary. There's been nine strikes by individual workers all over Europe at the dissatisfaction of their treatment. 
In the ITF, we're very proud of our transport sectors. We're very proud of the professionals in aviation. But we're not proud, and we won't accept the unfair treatment of the Ryanair workers. It's absolutely critical that Ryanair respond, not just to their workers, but also to their shareholders, about the practice of sustainability, secure jobs. Those men and women that work for Ryanair are proud to be in aviation, but they want dignity in the workplace. And we in the ITF and the ITUC and all the other global union federations will do everything we can to support them to get good collective bargaining agreements. All across Europe, whether it's the smallest airport that Ryanair use or one of the biggest ones, the ITF and the unions and their workers will recognise his title as the worst boss and will continue to promote and fight for the rights of the Ryanair workers. So I just want to thank the ITUC members for making the right decision. There's probably too many transport companies on your list, Sharon, and we'll take them one by one too. But for the ITF, this is a benchmark moment. This is an opportunity to highlight what isn't acceptable. And Michael O'Leary, we're coming for your workers and we're coming to make sure they have dignity and self-respect and health and safety is paramount in all transport sectors and in particular in aviation. So I just want to thank the ITUC for promoting the Ryanair campaign and the abuses of the employment and we, the work continues. One year ago, they agreed to recognise unions. One year ago. And now we've got nearly 50% in some case of dialogue or recognition. That means there's 50% to go. And we're coming for them. Democracy in Africa is in danger as ruling elites use it for their own greedy purposes. That was one of the messages given by African delegates attending the 2018 Congress of the International Trade Union Confederation. The ITUC is the organization which represents national union centers at the world level. One of those centers is the Nigeria Labor Congress. The General Secretary of the NLC, Ayuba Waba, warned delegates about attacks on democracy in Africa. I bring you fraternal greetings from the working women and men of Nigeria. Comrades, we are in agreement that democracy is not actually working for the benefit and interest of all. From the stories and lamentations we have received from many countries, it is very clear that democracy in many countries is working only for the interest of the few. And therefore, these few are also very powerful. In fact, they control over 80% of the global wealth. And they have used this wealth to manipulate democracies in many countries around the world. But it's not about lamentation. It's not only about also the attacks that have happened to many of our comrades. From one country to another, we have had the story from Brazil to Africa. I think it's very clear also that we have responded. In many of these countries, there are success stories that our unions working together. And therefore, let me salute our courage. Let me salute our tenacity. It's not all about condemnation. It's also about the fact that we have responded to those attacks and we have succeeded in many cases. And therefore, going forward is the fact that we must continue to unite. We must continue to represent effectively the interests of the working class across countries and across the globe. And therefore, building a strong union, building workers' power in tells that the rules must change and if the rules must change we must 
work assiduously to change the rules. In the context of Africa, we can see that democracy has been undermined. There is a lot of conflicts in many countries. There is also the issue of undermining workers' interests, particularly in my country, Nigeria. Most of the gains we have made in the past 40 years are now coming under attack, but we have responded effectively. Mr. Waba was elected president of the ITUC at its Congress in Copenhagen. Another delegate warning about the state of democracy in Africa was Mpudu Chipolemi. Ms. Chipolemi is from the Zambia Congress of Trade Unions. Colleagues, we need a different economic governance. So rules must change. Yes, we need to think about how we can make our society more democratic. There is a general feeling that the African countries are sufficiently democratic. Are they? I would say they are not sufficiently democratic. Together we are strong. Together we should continue to fight for the next hundred years to make Africa a better place to live in and an African continent that should stand for our values as workers. I want to remind you, dear colleagues, that our constituency that we represent is being further pushed into poverty. Recent trends show that democracy has unfortunately favored capital more than the workers and the poor. Our campaign to end corporate greed has made us as trade unions stand with the most exploited vulnerable. And it should be our resolve in this Congress to remain determined to build a better world for workers, which at the moment represents deeply entrenched injustices of global economic systems alongside shrinking democratic space and deteriorating labor rights. I am convinced together we can do it we have a proud history to look back to. We must make a proud future to look forward to. Here with his report about union events around the world is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Here's a tiny sample of the hundreds of union news stories in 31 languages added to our site each day last week. Our top stories section included links to coverage of the police attack on a solidarity camp set up by hotel workers in Myanmar, a Ukrainian mine occupation, and the ongoing strikes and protests in Iran. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. The community pickets at Canadian post offices continued this week as postal workers face heavy fines if they picket their own workplaces. Arrests are common. A one-day shutdown of passenger trains in Germany created huge traffic jams. South African plastics workers continued their walkout as it began to have an effect on their employers. A walkout over wages brought courts in Nigeria to a standstill. A telecom strike in the United States passed the 20-month mark this week. Oil workers in Gabon held a three-day walkout in support of six sacked comrades. That strike became the lead-in to a national general strike over a change to the country's constitution that gives additional powers to the vice president. A docks walkout in Jamaica threatened to delay the delivery of the traditional Christmas barrels, large shipments of gifts sent home by Jamaicans working abroad.
Tia State workers' wage strike continued in Sri Lanka. Our top working women's stories included coverage of the organizing against gender-based discrimination being done by women laborers in Nepal, an analysis of recommendations for laws against workplace harassment in India, the tactics being used by Hong Kong flight attendants in their battle against sexual harassment, how a minimum wage would disproportionately benefit Ugandan women, and the struggle for basic labor rights for women in Jordan. The free health and safety newswire we offer in cooperation with Hazards Magazine carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about the anti-harassment campaigns begun by the Retail Workers Union in Australia and a flight attendance union in the United States, a strike by social workers in Israel over workplace violence, and the assistance being provided to Cambodian construction workers by the Builders and Woodworkers International, the Global Union Federation for Construction Workers. Currently, Labor Start is running five online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is the American folk group Sweet Honey in the Rock. We bring more than a paycheck to our loved ones and families. We bring more than a paycheck to our loved ones and families. We bring more than a paycheck to our loved ones and families. More than a paycheck to our loved ones and families. Bring more than a paycheck to our loved ones and families. I say we bring more than a paycheck to our loved ones and families. I wanted more, but what I've got here today is more than I bargained for. When I walk through that door, I bring home. but I don't want no more. Don't accept no more. And that's it. International labor news you can use. You can find our daily reports and features on our website at www.radiolabor.net. I'm Mark Belanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity.
their vote 22 hours in the day was the next one and the most recent the one you just heard was ballad of the sit-ins 
celebrating the people who challenged Jim Crow laws in the South and elsewhere. It wasn't just in the South, remember. Uh, it was a whole nationwide structure. The uh, bedrock that, one of the bedrocks that this country was founded on was uh, that type of racism. This is Labor and Love Radio, and um, today we're going to ask you, who are you? First of all, let's talk a little. I want to talk a little about Sweet Honey and the Rock. Then we'll get on to who are you? What kind of a, a human being are you? Sweet Honey and the Rock was founded in 1973 by Bernice Johnson Reagan, who is teaching a vocal workshop with the Washington, D.C. Black Repertory Company. She retired from the group in 2004. The name of the group was derived from a song based on Psalm 81:16, which tells of a land so rich that when rocks were cracked open, honey flowed from them. Johnson has said that this first song in which four women blended their voices was so powerful. <clears throat> there was no question what the name of the group should be. The ensemble's most powerful messages are proclaimed through an enormous catalog of songs addressing the world's woes. They are currently occupied with immigration injustices like the seven-year-old girl who died of thirst, congressional greed and lack of compassion for citizens, the environmental imbalance, racial issues, and women's issues. And we all know those are one issue. The issue is capitalism and capitalism's way of distorting all these things. Distorting the roles of women. Distorting people of color, the lives of people of color. Distorting our love for the earth so it becomes destruction of the earth. So, labor and love. And, okay, I was talking about earlier, I was talking about what kind of a person are you? In classical economics, we are defined as homo economicus. Homo economicus. Uh, you know how archaeologists give uh, names to different forms of, of humanity, different physical forms. This is uh, Peter Fleming author of The Death of Homo Economicus, answers the questions about who was Homo Economicus. Simply put, Homo Economicus is that man who is only concerned with economy, with making more money. And now, is that who we are? Listen up. This is Peter Fleming. Homo economicus is economic man. Um, it's a philosophical precept that runs through economics from Adam Smith onwards that 
basically tells us what it means to be a human being, um, to be self-interested, to be uh, monetarily uh, sensitised to one's environment, very individualist, and basically um, a money-chasing animal, as uh, he or she has been termed by some philosophers in the past. It really came to be the principle in which society was organised around with the rise of neoliberal economics that really saw this as the heart of the economic machine, um, self-interested individualism. Um, and so for the last 30 or 40 years we've been kind of um, waterboarded by the ideology of Homo economicus. So this book um, is titled The Death of Homo economicus and I've used that rather provocative phrase um, for a number of reasons. Uh, the book, the study is really a ghost story. It's about a dead ideal. Um, the ideal really never gained traction from the beginning because we don't act as individual uh, self-seeking beings. We uh, live in a society and we live in communities. But it really kind of received the death blow with the 2007-2008 financial crisis that really put it into the category of a ghost. Um, now that ghost is still haunting our society and so rather than look at the individual being a self-seeking, selfish, cash-hunting animal, this is really about the tragic side of um, wanton individualism. Um, I would argue that this theory or ethos of being a human being is really no longer serving any purpose if it did it in the beginning and is really kind of making us sick, unhappy and in some cases killing us. How does the death of Homo... There are two things that really define that question. failing perpetually failing homo economicus. One is debt, personal debt, um, which I discuss quite a lot in the book, but also uh, the other side is this kind of crippling work ethic, or what I would call a suicidal work ethic. Now the irony is that we have really kind of solved the labour problem. We don't need all of this work to be uh, taking place in um, the rich societies of the West. So therefore work has entered into a kind of a ritualistic ceremonial um, um, phase in which we have to uh, uh, display all of the trappings of um, of being a, a very frenetic worker, and you you see this the most, um, obviously, in uh, very busy workplaces. But take the unemployed. When you lose your job uh, and you enter into a job centre, for example, the first thing they tell you is, okay, now this is what it looks like to be a worker. And you have to go through the ritual. Oftentimes economics has very little to do with it. It's not about uh, receiving an income. Oftentimes people will have to go through these ritualistic theatre, a cruel theatre of labour, um, simply for its own sake, to fulfil an ideological function. And so, you know, our obsession um, and fixation at a political level at least, not necessarily um, at a personal level, with work is really kind of reaching its zenith um, with uh, people uh, literally dropping dead from overwork, suffering from stress, uh, cardiovascular disease. Um, some doctors say that it's worse than smoking for your health, uh, given the long-term stress that builds up on the body. And so this is really kind of entering into this biopolitical sphere, I would argue, that the body itself um, now is the vehicle of this failing economic 
ideal of Homo economicus. And that was uh, Peter Fleming, a guy who wrote a book called The Death of Homo Economicus. So uh, as far as classical economic theory, which he says we've been waterboarded with, <laughs> and I agree with him, um, the idea is that the, the most basic impulse that you have in, in in this world is to get more money okay a lot of time government programs are based on the fact that they'll either give you more money or take more money away as if that's all you are he also talks about how work is killing us and lack of work being out of work is such a heavy heavy burden also that it's over Economicus is dead. Well, that would be nice. <laughs> Amazon workers in New York just announced their plan to unionize. Okay, they say we are robot, we are not robots, we are human beings. This is on Vox. Alexia Campbell. Amazon warehouse workers in New York are trying to unionize a development the $800 billion company has tried to prevent for years. On Wednesday, a group of employees from the company's warehouse in Staten Island announced the plan along with organizers from the retail, wholesale, and department store union. The union is also working with employees at Whole Foods, a grocery chain now owned by Amazon. The union push, which was first reported by Bloomberg, centers on a simple proposal. If the city and state are giving Amazon $3 billion tax break to build a regional headquarters nearby, then the company should use some of that money to pay higher wages to warehouse workers and improve their working conditions. And, the organizers say, a negotiated labor contract is the only way to get the company to do so. If a majority of the Staten Island workers agree, they'll be the first Amazon employees in the United States to join a labor union. Rashad Long, who started working there in October, said managers force employees to work 12-hour shifts five or six days in a row. It takes me four hours every day to get to and from work. Between my work schedule and my commute, I haven't seen my daughter in weeks. This is a, a common complaint, actually one of the bases of the movement in France, the yellow jacket movement in France, that workers have to spend a long time and gas to get to work because they've been priced out of, say, expensive neighborhoods in Paris. They live out in the countryside and they have to commute from work. This is happening in the United States as well. San Francisco now, where if you're a worker, where would you live in San Francisco? 
Yeah, might share a place. You might, uh, you know, have a room somewhere. Even then, it's going to cost you a thousand, two thousand dollars a month. Anyway, Long's workers nodded as he described feeling unsafe in work. He specifically mentioned that the warehouse's sprinkler system and smoke detectors are broken. But his most disheartening complaint suggests that com employees feel less valued than the robots nearby. The third and fourth floors are so hot that I sweat through my shirts even when it's freezing cold outside. We've asked the company to provide air conditioning, but the company told us that the robots inside cannot work in the cold weather. <laughs> okay, we keep thinking, well, automation is going to come and replace us. It's here. It's already happened. The robots don't work, so you have to suffer. A spokesperson for Amazon said the company respects employees' right to choose whether to join a labor union. Amazon maintains an open-door policy that encourages employees to bring their comments, questions, and concerns directly to their management team for discussion and resolution. We firmly believe this direct connection is the most effective way to understand and respond to the needs of the workforce. That was by Ra Rachel Light Lighty, a spokesperson. For Amazon. Lighty also disputed the co employees' contracts. She said the Staten Island warehouse has a fire detector on site to make sure the sprinkler system and smoke detectors are working as required by law and that employees are not allowed to work more than 60 hours a week. Oh! <laughs> you can't work more than 60 hours. You can work 59 Right? 59 hours a week, six day week, that's nine, 10 hours a week, uh, 10 hours a day. She added that the warehouse temperatures are regularly monitored to make sure they remain around 73 degrees Fahrenheit. And that Amazon offers employees the option to enroll in a state run ride sharing service called 511 NYShare. This is a tense moment for Amazon. The company is facing heated criticism for its decision to open regional office in New York City and suburban Washington, D.C. A decision that was made with no public input and that will cost local taxpayers billions of dollars in subsidies. <clears throat> Harrowing work conditions and low pay at Amazon's warehouses in the United States <clears throat> constitute serious complaints from employees in the United States and across the world. In July, Amazon workers went on strike to protest what they described as hot, windowless, soul-crushing work environments. So the robots, now the robots are more valuable than the people, huh? It's time to change radically our view of life and work. More specifically, life and a job. In order to survive, we are 
forced to accept such conditions. I mean, we're actually indentured servants, right? Because the minute you're born, you go into debt. <laughs> your food's going to cost something. Your shelter's going to cost something. Your medical care is going to cost something. And someone pays it for you till you grow up. But after that, you're in debt if you stop working. Your debt just piles up and then they come after you. <sighs> Let's go one more from the labor beat, which will continue after the next music set. Labor and Love Radio. Hello, an increase in of 22%. Congratulations to Spanish workers. <clears throat> This is something that's been coming for a while in Europe as well as in the United States. A living wage. What good is it to work and work and work if you don't have enough money to live? Spain's government will approve a 22% increase in the minimum wage to 900 euros per month on December 21st. Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez said on Wednesday. The increase due to enter into force in January was agreed jointly with anti-austerity party Podemos as part of the socialist prime minister's effect to get enough support for the 2019 budget to be adopted in parliament. The wage increase initially expected to be formally decided on December 28th will be approved by decree as the cabinet exceptionally meets in Barcelona on December 21st. And what Sanchez said was a sign that his government wanted to boost prosperity for all territories. Tensions over Catalonia are one of the thorniest issues facing the premier who controls fewer than a quarter of seats in the parliament. The Catalan regionalist administration has faced anti-austerity protests over the next, over the past few weeks. Sanchez socialists need the support of smaller parties to pass legislation, such as this budget proposal. Congratulations to Spanish workers. Is it a living wage? I guess we'll see, huh? Okay. This is the B and it's the Labor and Love Show and we're at the top of the hour, about halfway home. Listen to a little jazz here and take a break. See you on the other side. Okay, we're back. This is the B, 
This is the Labor and Love Show. Labor and Love Radio, to be exact. You can find us on, on Facebook, where every week we post uh, what I call the Labor Beat, stories from around the world and around the nation about workers and their social movements. The Labor and Love Show brings you labor commentary, labor opinion, interviews, and so much more. It's your weekly Labor Day. Let's get on to some uh, music here. It's movement time. Got it all wrong, so I come to you with a song. In 1810, con razón. Black and brown fighting together on a day I'll always remember. In el cinco de mayo, con a grito de gallo, black, white, and brown bleeding together on a day I'll always remember. Cause really, it hasn't been that long So just in case Cat Williams had you guessing Let me kick y'all down with a little history lesson In the 19th century, while the U.S. promoted degradation, annihilation With its military and U.S. Navy Mexico got rid of the caste system Voted for its first indigenous president Even getting rid of legalized slavery The Underground Railroad also ran south led black folks to freedom with Mexico right there to receive them. In 1910, it was Mexican men with Pancho Villa and Zapata fighting for tierra, libertad y techo with Adelitas on the front line with bullets across their pecho. In the year 1946, it was the Mendez family that fought against segregation in schools. Because before that, they treated us like fools pushing us out into gangs, wars, and drugs. And then they get pissed off at us when we become crips and bloods, traviesos, zutsuras, pachucos, folkloristas, punks, bomberas, haraneras in the heat, haraneras with the bomb as beats. Talking about what's really going on in the streets. In the 60s, in the streets of Oakland, California, Black Panthers organized for answers. Young lords in New York fought against wars. The Stonewall Rebellion remained true for the rights of the LGBTQ. AIM, who was down for native rights with no shame in their game. Brown Berets in LA learning how to fight and doing what's right. In the campus of California, Filipinos were the first ones to lay down the boycott. Screaming in solidarity, Isang Baksak, one rise, one fall. You come for one, you come for all. And today, Arizona and Alabama, they don't play. Carving out racist laws like it's made out of clay. I stand with Emmett, Trayvon, Oscar, and Bell. With my mentor, Mumia, up in the cell. Telling you I'd rather be blind than to stay quiet on a day while my people are hunt down like prey. ability to breathe is directly connected to my ability to see it's not about me never was never will be it's about we it's time to move y'all 
It's movement time. what it's for 
nobody gives us a rhyme or reason Half of one doubt, they call it treason We're chicken feathers all the way out one day. God damn it, trying to make it real compared to what Sunday sleeping not trying to duck the wrath of God preachers filling us with fright they all trying to teach us what they think is right they really got to be some kind of nut I can't use it I'm trying to make it real compared to what
in the mood for some energy in the form of food and greeting the owner as I entered the store I didn't realize what I was in for test tube food <laughs> as I walked down the aisle from the shelves the packages all tried to sell themselves I'm ten cents off buy me you I got pink and purple hues Howard Hughes Test tube blues. You'll like me, honey, said some salad oil. The figure of my bottle will never spoil. And on my back, there's an offer label for a CD player for your kitchen table. Sorry, sister. You look a little bit too oil slicky for me. This food's fun, it'll get your girls, and the coupon gets your flag that unfurls to the beat of the Spangled Banner song. You better try it now, the offer won't last long. Homeland Security food, you eat it, and it does surveillance inside you the rest of your life. I found out where the produce were, and I bebopped on over there. I said they chemical rated this food with bombs like the plants and the people in Vietnam. Agent Oranges. I held a tomato in my hand. It was red but hard, you understand. Tomato, I said, this ain't your natural beauty. You're a drugged up money-making cutie. Just a pretty face. Folks at Gria love only wealth, they don't give a damn about our health. Shut up and package without love. Tomato, you weren't grown up, you were shoved. Your upbringing's gonna bring me down. Still standing in the produce section of a supermarket, surrounded by people uh, speaking to a tomato. By eating you, I'm gonna bum trip, kid. You done more drugs than I ever did. We're victims of a capitalistic raid and the folks that picked you were underpaid. Viva Cesar Chavez! The cash register ring awakened me and it brought me out of my fantasy. And I went and I spoke to the counter cat and I told him just where I was at. Here and now. Wow. Wow. I said, Lord knows I got a rumbling gut and my stomach thinks my throat's been cut. But I ain't about to have my insides glued by this poison I call test tube food. You eat it. Wrong. 
Rah, 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 rah. Yeah, there's plenty of things here you want me to swallow, but my body and soul would still be hollow. Besides, I sing off-key madrigals if I ate a food with 17 syllables. Easier to swallow a scrabble board. Methyl oxide, potassium methyl, was that their regular ethyl? There's Panama red and there's methyl red and one will leave you tired and the other one dead, take your pick. Now through corporate proclivities, some food has radioactivity. Glowing proof that yours can be a radiant nuclear family. You don't even have to cook it either. You just open the can on the counter and it has a meltdown. So I went to a place where the food was fast serving clone cows raised on pasture land rainforest once. I think I'd rather have some slow food for lunch. But not a corporate burger. It could have come from a septic company merger and it ain't no fun to eat what's in between those buns. Now I ain't quite ready to live just on the rays of the sun like I know some Indian yogis have done. But you are what you eat and how strange you see to go by the name of MSG.
It's The Real News Network, and I'm Greg Wilpert coming to you from Baltimore. The website Political recently revealed that the Trump administration concealed a report about how the bank Wells Fargo is fleecing college students with de debit and credit card fees. According to the report, Wells Fargo charges students as much as three times what other banks charge students. The report had been prepared by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and was submitted only to the U.S. Department of Education last February. However, neither institution made it public. Politico obtained it via a Freedom of Information Act request. Wells Fargo provides financial services to about one quarter of the 500 U.S. colleges that this report surveyed. Joining me now to discuss the CFPB report on banking at U.S. colleges is Bill Black. Bill is a white-collar criminologist, former financial regulator, and associate professor of economics and law at the University of Missouri's Kansas City. He is also the author of the book, The Best Way to Rob a Bank is to Own One. Thanks for joining us again, Bill. Thank you. So before we get into the issue of how it can be that the CFPB would uh, conceal a major report like this, let's first take a look at Wells Fargo. Uh, Wells Fargo already has a long list of financial, uh, fraudulent financial practices, which we have covered here at The Real News quite extensively, often with your help. It seems that whenever there's a major banking scandal, chances are that Wells Fargo is involved. Explain to us what the issue is this time around and how it fits in the context of Wells Fargo's uh, practices as a bank. Sure, I'll reverse that. Um, the thing that's distinct about Wells Fargo is uh, that cross-selling is everything. It is their signature aspect of their business plan. And they cross-sell um, more than twice as much as their nearest competitor. And most competitors, they just simply uh, blow to pieces uh, in this regard. So uh, Wells Fargo is all about get you to buy any product and then try to get you to buy six or seven additional product that you don't need and indeed um, net uh, harm you. So that's their business plan. And that's also their culture is built entirely around this. Uh, as we speak, Wells Fargo uh, suffering in terms of all of these uh, bad publicity for these recurrent scandals is running ads about how ha, Wells Fargo back in the uh, San Francisco earthquake, there were no records available, but they loaned to people just out of trust to help them to recover from the earthquake. After the 1906 earthquake, people needed access to their money. So even though bank records were buried, Wells Fargo let customers withdraw based on their word. We had your back then, and we've got your back today. Except that Wells Fargo is not actually Wells Fargo, <laughs> at least that Wells Fargo. Uh, Wells Fargo is actually Norwest. In other words, Minnesota, where I'm speaking from. And uh, people who are familiar with Minnesota know about our joke about um, Minnesota nice, which is we pretend to be really nice, uh, but not always so much uh, in reality. So these Norwest types, these salt-of-the-earth Minnesotans, actually run uh, Wells Fargo and completely changed its culture away from any entity that would trust and help small consumers to one that is absolutely rapacious against consumers. This latest one uh, is actually absolutely core to that cross-selling, because that's what they do. So um, anybody that's been a, uh, involved in a campus uh, in the last 40 years, no, you go to freshman orientation 
and there are these desks uh, everywhere, and it's credit card companies trying to sign you up, and then they give you a free bottle of you know water type thing. Uh, it, what they want is to get you young and dumb, and to sell you not just their basic service of you know a savings and a checking account, uh, but also uh, six, seven additional accounts. And that's why Wells Fargo fees are so much higher uh, than its competitors. And that's why it has the highest fees of any bank. And as you mentioned in the introduction, they're one of the largest banks in providing these things that they call services, but are actually ways of fleecing you, right? So this is actually a predatory scam uh, going on. And Wells Fargo is better at it than almost anybody uh, in the world. And that, of course, brings us to the question of why the CFPB doesn't want you to know as a college student or as a parent of a college student. So, uh, Bill, just before, you. before we get into that question, I just want to get your response to one of their arguments. I mean, in the report, on Politico asked them about uh, their fees, and they claimed that the reason they charge more, that is, Wells Fargo charges more than other banks, is that they probably provide better uh, or different services than other banks, suggesting that they provide services uh, to students uh, that are by their nature more expensive, such as international wire transfers. What's your reaction to this argument? Again, that is cross-selling. So they sell you on not just a service, but six or seven services. And so, indeed, before we go on, here's a little consumer education. Uh, whatever your credit card company is, your bank is, look at what you've signed up for. Uh, because the art of all of this is to get you to sign up for services that don't make sense for you. And you can get rid of those, but you'll have to act. And of course, that's what they're banking on. Most people won't do this review. And even if they do it, they won't actually take the trouble to cancel the service. And so when they get you young and dumb as a college freshman, they keep you literally till death. Now, turning to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, how can it be that they would conceal such a report for such a long time? Actually, well, they didn't even release it until uh, they were required to by, um, by the Freedom of Information Act request. Are they trying to protect Wells Fargo? And if so, why? What's going on? Yes, and indeed, um, the, obviously, the Consumer um, Finance Protection Bureau was set up. Elizabeth Warren uh, was uh, the person, uh, the mom, uh, of it. Um, and to remember, she's an expert uh, in credit. Um, she spent her, most of her life studying it and the abuses of it. So she very carefully crafted the CFPB to be a protector. And they have one mission, and that is to protect uh, financial consumers. And there's nobody else uh, that does that as a routine job uh, in the federal uh, government. Uh, so it's an absolutely critical thing that someone was finally tasked with, this is your job, go do it. Naturally, of course, the Trump administration came along and they hate that idea. So one of their highest priorities was taking over the CFPB. They put Mick Mulvaney in. He's the horrific budget guy that they're also trying to convince to be chief of staff. Uh, of Trump. 
along with half the world, of course. Um, and Mick Mulvaney, on a part-time basis for months, has been destroying the effectiveness of the CFPB. But they decided they needed a, a full-time person to do this. Naturally, they didn't want to get anyone that had any background in ever working to protect consumers because they might identify with consumers, right? If you're in this kind of business, you get such terrible complaints that whether you start out conservative or progressive, you tend to get very pro-consumer. So they had an answer to that. Get somebody who has never cared about consumers, has never spent a minute of her life protecting consumers, and that's exactly what they did. Yeah, I mean, that was going to be my next question, actually, about Kathy Kraninger. I mean, she was actually just appointed last week. That is, the, the Senate finally approved her nomination last week. Um, and uh, she taking over from Nick Mulvaney, who, uh, and one shouldn't perhaps mention that um, Nick Mulvaney took over from Richard Cordray before that, who was an Obama, Obama appointee, um, but then resigned to, in order to run for governor of Ohio with a race that he last, lost last month. Anyway, uh, back to Kathy Kraninger. I mean, she seems to have zero experience. Um, so what does that mean? What do you think is going to happen uh, in terms of the, her, her tenure there? Oh, she is picked because, again, she has no experience and therefore no sympathies for consumers and is an ideological extremist who believes that the victims are the companies, <laughs> not the consumers. So they will do everything possible to undercut the CFPB. They will drive out the effective staff. They will fill it uh, with drones and sycophants. Uh, who, who are ideologues, and they've already said that their key thing that they're going to stress is reducing burden on uh, the finance uh, industry uh, instead of protecting consumers. Hmm. Well, that's not a very promising prospect to look forward to. We're going to leave it there for now, though. I was speaking to Bill Black, Associate Professor of Economics and Law at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. Thanks again, Bill, for having joined us today. Thank you. If you like Real News Network stories such as this one, please keep in mind that we have started our winter fundraiser and need your help to reach our goal of raising $400,000. Hey, the skinny on student loans. <clears throat> if the Democratic Party wants to capture the uh, hearts and minds of uh, young people, millennials, this is where they should put down their bucket. This is the staggering, staggering burden that our young people are under, our educated young people are under. Uh, debt equals slavery. Debt means you can't live the way you want. You always got to consider first how much money you're going to make so you can pay off your debt. And now it's obvious Mr. Trump and his group is, uh, are hiding the, these things from people, the way, the way people are getting screwed by the banks. Okay, so we've got Barbara Ehrenreich, and then one more, the forgotten abortion rights activist who forever changed the abortion debate with a single single idea okay this is on uh, 
slate. And I footnoted it. Biology is not dest destiny. They called her the Che Guevara of abortion reformers. A decade before Roe, Pat McGinnis' radical activism and righteous rage changed the abortion debate forever. There was nothing remarkable about the small woman carrying a box of leaflets, 1966, at the Federal Building. Her flyer, one of them said, classes in abortion, listing topics like female anatomy, foreign abortion specialists, and police question. The other, which she gave only to the assembled journalists and the five women who signed up for her her class that day described two techniques of DIY abortions. I'm attempting to show women an alternative to knitting needles, coat hangers, and household cleaning agents. She told reporters, adding that she had notified San Francisco police of her whereabouts and plans. The woman was Patricia McGinnis, a laboratory technician and founder of the Society for Humane Abortion, an organization that she ran out of the front room of her small apartment in San Francisco. SHA sought to repeal abortion laws, endorse elective abortions, and offer women any resources it could in the meantime. A list of up-to-date safe abortion specialists outside the country, classes on DIY abortions and symposia where sympathetic, do sympathetic doctors could confer with each other about the safest and best abortion techniques. This time that was against the law. Viola violation was the point. McGinnis had politely informed the police of her every move in advance. The aim was to goad the legal apparatus into an ugly confrontation. On and on. So check that out on Slate website. Patricia McGinnis. And it's about time for us to be moving on. And as usual, we'll go out with our favorite conscientious objector slash blues player, the great Willie Dixon. It don't make sense. Sort of become our theme song. The blues speak of so many things and making a kind of variety of the program. It makes sense. It Brother Charlie, and thanks for calling. And, uh, and when Sylvia, you think about my soulmate, makes of me earth. proud to be a dad. The various religions of the earth. Happy birthday to Nepo. The various all over the world. Wishing you a good week and good work. This we is have Labor and Love. We can tell you how it is. Anything that we want to make and do anything. If one person got a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. A created miracle. As Barbara Ehrenreich pointed out.
in that blurb about but it don't make sense. low wage workers, how they're supporting us and subsidizing us. You know, you made everything else. Wise men, great men. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table where you work, you're on the menu. And never but never let anyone in your house into your heart or your house who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you, Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. I guess I wanted to add one more thing about now how the Trump, Trump and allies, conservative allies, want to take back from Obamacare, the restriction that insurance companies can't charge you more for a pre-existing condition. Now they want to take that back. Let's watch that story. A federal judge in Texas now has said that the Affordable Care Act is unconstitutional for some dumb reason. See how that works out. Anyway. Have a good week and good work. This is The Bee signing off. of swimming through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutiny radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Asiento, take a seat at Asiento on 21st and Bryant. Meet friends for a drink, have delicious tapas, and a relaxed community atmosphere. Asiento, honestly, is a wonderful place. They have incredible bartenders and board games all over the walls. Trivia on Mondays, Taco Tuesdays, First Wednesday, live jazz, live DJs Thursday, parties. The food is darn good special happy hour prices all night long with your mutiny radio comedy festival ticket march 1st through 5th check out the schedule at www.asientosf.com come take a seat i had a date there and it did not go well but it wasn't the fault of the place they're very nice asiento
Hungry for a burger? Mutiny Radio thinks you'll find the best burger in San Francisco at Counter Offer, located inside Bender's Bar and Grill. Counter Offer's menu aims to please your drunk face. Tater tots are served daily. On Tuesday nights, Counter Offer serves specials off the Taco Bell menu, only better. You can enjoy your favorite Taco Bell item without the guilt. Counter Offer uses only fresh ingredients and never store-bought shit. Special ingredients are made from scratch daily, including beans, ketchup, mustard, habanero sauce, and ranch dressing. Counter Offer even serves vegan mac and cheese. All of this great food is served 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and until 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Counter Offer is located inside Bender's Bar and Grill at 806 South Van S. Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counter Offer, baby. Everybody should listen to Mutiny Radio at mutinyradio.fm. It's a great place to listen to crazy things. Subliminal SF visual and auditory mind control brings you the best, coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com. That's subliminalsf.myshopify.com. And experience Subliminal SF. Welcome. Bender's Bar and Grill, located at 806 South Van Ness in the Mission District of San Francisco. Your favorite bar with awesome bartenders, rotating local art, and a killer back patio. It's a great place to hang out and play one of their two pool tables or old school pinball machine with a tasty adult beverage. Live music every Saturday for only $5. Bender's brings you face-melting metal and rock and roll. The last Friday of the month, Punk Rock and Schlock delivers super fun karaoke with Aileen. Come on, what's not to like? They even have counter offer inside, frying up the tots with sexy hot burgers for your face. Open every day at 2 p.m. Their happy hour goes till 7 p.m. Bender's is proud to be a sponsor of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival because they're an awesome community asset to the dirtbags who keep art alive in the mission. Bender's Bar and Grill. Hi, welcome to My Limited View. I am your host, Sergio Novoa. And I'm your co-host, Vanessa Wilkins. Join us every Tuesday from 12 to 2 at mutinyradio.fm as we share stories, our personal stories. And struggles and challenges. And we'll also have guests come in and share their stories. And hopefully through all this, we can expand our view. Or your view. Yes, and there'll be plenty of dick jokes, so don't worry. It's not always going to be heavy. Yeah, I might even share black hair tips. Black hair tips, don't. <laughs> know anything about it sorry <laughs> all so, on my limited view yes every tuesday from 12 to 2 uh oh you can if you, you can also find us on apple Podcasts. oh yeah and google play and stitcher itunes oh you already said T- that tune in radio uh stitcher you said that spotify oh my god there's just so many and overcast um yes you can also find us on social media m as in mary l as in larry p as in peter podcast mov podcast is our handle 
Until next time, I hope you're enjoying your view. Yes. Bye. Bye. That, that kind of sucked balls. Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and miles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pantastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pantastic's Flat Black Glasgow Mutiny Radio. FM. <laughs>